0: Twenty-two, thirty-one 22, 31-34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly.
1: Well, good morning. Thank you so much for being here at the weekend services at Christ Community Chapel. I'm glad you're here with me, whether you're here in the sanctuary or over in the East Service or watching online. Thanks for being with us. My name is Zach, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to get to spend some time with you. I don't know about you, but I have really been enjoying this sermon series going through the last 10 scenes of the life of Jesus according to the Gospel of Luke. It, it has been so great to just slow down and look at Jesus and see his beauty. You know, it, it makes me think of this. Even as someone who grew up in the church and has been around for a long time, I'm often in need of a refresher, it's a little bit like in my marriage. And you know, I've been married to my wife for 15 years. Uh, we have five children. Our house can be crazy. It can be easy to fall into a rhythm of being roommates or or parenting partners. And so to fight against that, we every week, or every two weeks, will go on a date night. And date nights are great because when I sit across the table from her, whatever we're doing, and look at her, I'm I'm reminded of why I love her. You know, separate from the clutter and the noise and the chaos that is life, I'm I'm constantly finding myself being refreshed and remembering what it is about this woman that I find so compelling. That's similar to what I think about this sermon series, if you're here and you're a Christian, it's not that any of these stories are new necessarily or that you're, you're, you're reading things you've never read. It's more that what we're trying to do is, is set aside some time away from the clutter and chaos of life to say, uh, let's slow down and let's just remember. Let's remember what makes Jesus so compelling. Let's remember why we love him the way we love him. Let's remember what it is about him that we found so life-changing. But of course, also, if you're here, you're watching online, you're over at East, and you're not yet a Christian, our hope is that you might slow down and see in him what we see in him, that you might find him compelling, that you might find him beautiful, and that you might even decide to believe in him, to follow him, to give your life to him, and even to respond publicly in baptism. That's why the baptistry is out here uh, on display. That's why it's over in the East Service because we wanna remind you that on April 25th, we're giving you a chance to say, you know what, I am, I'm all in with Jesus. I have seen something in him that has changed my life, and I want everyone to know I'm following him. And I'm really excited to tell you that we already have over 30 people signed up to be baptized on April 25th. And I say that for two reasons. One, I tell you that because if you are working through whether or not you want to be baptized, if I were you, a fear that I would have is I don't want to be the only one. What happens if I'm the only one? Well, you're not gonna be the only one. There are over 30 people already signed up. But the other reason I say that is if you're watching online, uh, I know you're working through when to come back and and we'll we'll be here waiting on you whenever, but I really wanna encourage you to potentially circle the 25th to say, hey, I don't wanna miss 30 people and probably more by then being baptized. I I wanna be there for that and that you would make plans to join us. I think it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait, I am so excited but I'm also excited about what we're talking about today. So if you have a Bible, I'd love to ask you to go ahead and take it out and open it to Luke chapter 22 as we look at the passage that was just read so beautifully. Fire up your phone, scroll to Luke 22. We'll be talking about a familiar story for many of us, Peter's denial of Jesus. And as you're turning, I I wanna hold out to you three points that I'm gonna use as an outline to just help us navigate the passage together. They're very simple, they go like this. I want to show you the moment, the fear, and the hope. The moment, the fear, and the hope. All right, let me start with the first one, the moment. To make sense of this passage, to to really understand its weight, you need to know some things about Peter, And I know we all come from different backgrounds, different stories, and and I don't want to assume you are overly familiar with the Bible or, or the character or person of Peter, so let me catch you up. You can consider this previously in the life of Peter, okay? So here's who Peter is. Peter was a fisherman when he met Jesus. Now, given this culture, that most likely means that his father was a fisherman, his father's father had been a fisherman, and so on. It was the family business, and and Peter was doing what you did if you were a guy in his family. He was going to work as a fisherman and, and supporting his family in that way. When he met Jesus, he became so convinced as to who Jesus said that he was and what Jesus said he was gonna do that he left everything behind, began to follow Jesus as one of his inner circle. That means he left the family business. That means he left his family as as he traveled. Peter was a passionate man, and so he bought into Jesus in a big way. And that means not only did he leave his family, but he left his family to explain where Peter was and what Peter was doing. And the thing is, Jesus's popularity would rise and would fall, which means the community would make sense of what Peter did in good ways and in bad ways which means Peter was probably hearing from his family all the time that dad went to the barber shop and ran into his old friends and they were saying, hey, how come your son left the family business to follow that weirdo who talks about destroying the temple and building it back in three days? But Peter doesn't care because he's sold out. He is all in with Jesus. And the thing is, that's not just true with those outside of the inner circle of of Jesus. It's true inside the inner circle. That Peter is arguably the most passionate and most dedicated of Jesus' followers. I mean, he is a man prone to some really bold statements. He's a guy who likes to, to kind of put his name down as the guy who follows Jesus. So that, like, for example, in the Gospel of John, there's a passage in which Jesus turns to his disciples and says, uh, "The crowds are leaving. Are you going to leave too?" And Peter looks at him and goes, where are we going to go? We're with you, Jesus. I mean, he, he's that kind of guy. He is the disciple. He's also the guy who's prone to making really bold statements. So in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to be arrested and, and you're all going to abandon me, Peter is the guy who says, not me, I'll die for you if I need to. In fact, when we looked at the passage last week, but Pastor Joe was preaching and he was saying that it was Peter who cut off the guard's ear. Do you remember that? When Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts off the guy's ear. Well, I have news for you. Nobody aims for the ear. Okay. Peter was aiming to split the guy's head open. He was not just ready to die for Jesus. He was ready to kill for Jesus. He was ready to go down in a blaze of glory. He was ready for his life to come to a bloody conclusion. Why? Because that would kind of make sense for him. He had sold out. He needed Jesus to win. He, he needed Jesus to be triumphant. It's the only, only way his life would make sense. And when you understand that, then you understand the gravity of this moment because this is the moment that Peter had told everyone he was ready for. This is the moment where Peter had told people he would be the one disciple to come through, that he would he would be Jesus's guy, that with Jesus, he was ride or die. That's what he had said. And here it is Jesus is being dragged along he's been arrested he's being taken to the high priest all the disciples are gone but not Jesus, not Peter Peter is off in the distance he's following along he's waiting for his moment everything has been leading up to here and then the moment comes and he fails colossally miserably embarrassingly he fails in the heat of the moment, in the moment where his life had been driving to this conclusion, he proves not to be brave, but to be a coward. Not to be loyal, but to be a traitor. Not to be a man of courage and conviction, but a man of self-interest and a man of moral lack. He fails. This is the lowest moment of Peter's entire life. And it's not just the lowest moment of his entire life. It is the moment that defines him. It is the moment that causes you to look back and go, if this is what you were gonna do, why did you leave the fishing business? If this is what you were gonna do, why did you leave your family? If this is who you were gonna be, why did you make all those bold statements? Peter isn't just guilty of cowardice. He is a coward. This is not just the lowest moment. This is the moment of defining him. This is who he is. This is not a moment, but the moment. Here's what I believe. This moment is a moment that comes for us all. This moment, this moment of failure, this, this moment of crisis, this this moment of not being who we said we were, this is a moment that comes for us all. Part of what it means to be human is that this moment is waiting on us. In fact, when I talk about the lowest moment of your life, there are two kinds of people in the room right now. There's the kind of person who says, I know exactly the moment you're thinking of. And then there's the kind of person who it just hasn't happened to them yet. Do you know what I mean? This is the moment when your affair is discovered. This is the moment when your pornography addiction goes public. This is when you get a DUI. This is when your child calls you and has made a mess of their lives and your parenting, or lack thereof, is on full display. This is when your career doesn't end in partnership, it just ends. This is when your lies are discovered, when your cheating is known. This is the moment when you realize whatever I've said in the past, whatever I've done in the past, whatever I said I was going to do, this is what I am. I am an addict. I am an adulterer. I am a thief. I am a liar. I am a bad parent. This is the moment that shapes you into who you are. Have you had that moment? It feels like I should say, it's possible you haven't had that moment yet, but the only reason is you've not been discovered yet. Then when I talk about the moment, you know it's just one internet history search away, one person checking your cell phone away. This is that moment for Peter but I want you to see it's not just a moment. It's the fear that comes with that moment. That's my second point. It's not just the moment. It's the fear that comes with the moment. Now, what I mean to say is that there's a verse at the very end of this passage that conveys, it's not just that Peter messed up. There's something deeper happening. In fact, look with me at the passage. Luke Chapter 22, at the very end, verse 62, it says this. And he went out and wept bitterly. He went out and he wept bitterly. Do you know what those words mean? They're very powerful words. To weep. Do you know what it means to weep? Weeping is not when a single tear rolls down your cheek during your wife's movie and she looks over and says, are you crying? And you wipe it away and go, no, it's allergies. Okay, (laughs) okay. Weeping is when snot bubbles come out. Do you know what I mean? Weeping is when you're so upset, you don't care what it looks like. You're not trying to hide it, you're not trying to mask it, you're past that. That's what it means to weep. But to weep bitterly is to weep from shame, it's to weep from guilt. It's to weep because you know you are wrong. You know you've been caught. You know you've been discovered. You knew this moment was coming. You knew you would get here, and you and you, you knew it, but you can't handle it. That's what it means to weep bitterly. Have you been there? Well, I can tell you if you haven't, you're headed there. We are all headed there. This moment will come for us all, but but the reason why those, those words, weep bitterly, have been bouncing around in my head all week, haunting me all week, is because of something I learned in counseling. Now, when I say that, you probably think I mean when I was counseling someone. I'm a pastor, but that's not what I mean. I mean when I went to counseling. Some of you know this past year has been really hard on my family. And through the encouragement of friends and others, I, I, I sought Counseling. And I only say that because I feel like it falls on people in my position to destigmatize that a little bit. Listen, if you're struggling, you should talk to someone. You should. I did, and it's been super helpful, and I hope you will as well. But one of the things that my counselor has helped me with is something that he calls the interpretive tornado, which is just a cool name, right? It's actually on the screen behind me. And and the interpretive tornado works like this. Let me just explain it to you. You might not see the letters, but you don't need to. You get the gist, okay? Over there at the very beginning, the top left of the tornado is what's called the A. That's the initial event. That's the event that happens, the experience that you have, the things that were said to you, right? That happened, that's fact. But then there's a line that goes over and, and it says initial event, and that means B. B is not the event, it's your interpretation of the event. It's how you perceived it. It's how you received what was said or you received what was done. It may not be based in reality or it may. It can go either way, but it is how you received it. And, And A happens and then B happens and B leads to another conclusion and another conclusion. If this, then this. And if that, then this. And if that, then this. All the way down to the bottom, which is a little bubble, which says, I am. What my counselor told me is, Zach, when when something happens, you perceive it and you receive it in a certain way and you follow that logical progression down to the very bottom, which is this deep fear that you have. Because of all that, I am blank. Like, let me give you an example. When I leave the house in the morning and I say, Amy, how do I look? And she says, you look good. And I say, Okay. And I get in my car and I head to the church and I get about five minutes down the road. Now, what happened, A, is Amy said, you look good. But as I'm driving, my B is that I say, you know, good is good, but good is not great. Why don't I look great? And B leads to C, in which I say, I know why I don't look great. It's the shirt, isn't it? I knew I shouldn't have worn this shirt. I look weird in this shirt. That's why I'm not great. And when I get to work, everyone's going to see that I look weird. And someone's going to say something, probably Joe. He will be like, that's a weird shirt. And if I have a weird shirt, then I'm a weird guy. And nobody wants to be friends with the weird guy. And so I'm going to be in my office all alone, looking good, not great, with a weird shirt because I'm a weird guy. I am going to be alone. And you say, Zach, you got all that from you look good. You're crazy. To which I would say, I'm in counseling. (laughs) But you see what happened is my wife said, you look good. That's what happened. But I processed that in a way that led to me saying, I am alone. I am alone. Listen, when the passage tells us that Peter wept bitterly, you have to understand he did not weep bitterly because he made a mistake. You read the gospels. He had made a lot of those. He weeps bitterly because of what he believes his mistake means. I told Jesus I had his back. I told Jesus I would die for him. That's why he let me in the inner circle. That's why I'm a disciple, because he thought he could count on me. That's who I am. But this is what happened. I denied him. When I denied him, therefore, he will never forgive me. I am not who I said I was. I am not who he needed me to be. I do not love Jesus. I was not there for Jesus. And therefore, Jesus could never forgive me. He will never love me. And if Jesus could never forgive me, and if Jesus could never love me, then neither will God because after all, when Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened and God said, this is my son and I'm pleased with him. And somebody just asked me if I knew him and I couldn't even say yes. Therefore, God won't love me. God won't accept me. My life has been an utter disaster and an utter failure. I have left nothing for nothing to become nothing. I have nothing. I am alone, unwanted, unwanted unwelcomed, unloved, alone. And you see, that's what makes the moment so crippling, isn't it? It isn't just that you had an affair or you developed an addiction or your kids have made a mess of their lives or you lied or you cheated or you stole and you've been discovered. It isn't just that it's the, it's the interpretive tornado you then go through, which says, therefore, I am an adulterer. And that means everyone will know they can't trust me. Everyone will know I blew up my family. Therefore, no one will ever want to be in a relationship with me. And no one will ever love me. No one will ever trust me. And I will be alone Everyone will know about my addiction. They will find me dirty or nasty or gross and they won't wanna be around me. It's too messy and I will be alone. All the other women will know about my child and they will know that I've not been the mother that I said that I was and I will no longer be accepted in the group and I will be alone. And we carry this fear all the time. whether it's because of what we've been through or because we're worried we're going to be caught. But it isn't just the fear of what others will think about us. No, 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 no. We extend that to God. Look at what I've done to my life. If I see it, then God sees it. And if God sees it, then he knows. And if he knows, he has to be mad at me. And if he's mad at me, he can't be happy with me. And if he's not happy with me, it's because he doesn't love me. And if he doesn't love me, it means there's no hope for me. And that's where we find ourselves so often. You see, the moment can be 10 years in the past, 20 years in the past. But that fear, that's every day. So we find ourselves sitting in a pew, watching online. We're here. But deep down, our fear is that we are alone, unlovable, unwelcomed, and unwanted. Is that where you find yourself today? Do you feel your, your chest tightening, sweating a little bit, crippled by this fear? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? That leads me to my third point, which is to say, where's the hope? Where's the hope? If we're all headed to this moment or we have this moment, we're living with this fear, where is the hope? Can I just start by saying, this story adds nothing to the story of Jesus really. You don't need this story to know that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. This is not an integral story to understanding Jesus. Why is it in the Bible? You know why? Because right now in your moment and with your fear, God wants to speak to you. And he uses Peter's moment and Peter's fear to do it. There is hope here. It comes in the little snippet, the beginning passage that was read. You can find it in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. Jesus is telling Peter he's going to deny him. Remember, we said, you can't surprise Jesus, right? And Jesus says this in verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And listen to this. And when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. That word turn in the original language has in mind this idea of change. Jesus is saying, Peter, you are going to fail. I mean, you are going to fail miserably. You are not who you think you are. Who you really are is getting ready to be on display. You are going to be proven to be a fraud, to be a coward, to be a traitor. But when you change, I'm going to use you. Now, when you're living in the moment, I don't know how hopeful that is. Because what does that even mean, change? You can't undo what you did. How much good do you have to do to erase the bad? Some bad is unerasable, but the hope is in the rest of the story. Did you know all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus. All four of them contain the story of Peter denying Jesus. Do you think Peter appreciates that? There are four different angles on the story of Jesus and each four of Peter's buddies were like, yeah, that's going in there. All four of them contain the story of Peter's denial. All four of them. But did you also know that all four of them make sure that you know before the story is over that he was loved by Jesus? The gospel of Matthew, Peter denies Jesus, but when Jesus gathers the disciples at the end of the book of Matthew and gives them his great commission, Matthew wants you to know that all the disciples are there, including Peter. In the gospel of Mark, when the angel says to the woman at the tomb, Jesus isn't here. Why are you looking for Jesus? And then he says this, and this is so beautiful. He says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's risen. In the gospel of Luke, Luke makes sure you know that when Jesus gathers his disciples, all of them are there, including Peter. John has this beautiful story of Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep so that you know that Jesus loves Peter. All of them say Peter messed up. He was a failure, a fraud, a traitor, a coward. But all of them want you to know that before the story is over, he is loved. But here's the thing. All those stories happen days after Peter denied Jesus. So here's my question. If Jesus says, Peter, you're gonna be a fraud. You're gonna be an embarrassment. You're gonna be a cheat. But when you change, I'll use you. How much changing can you do in a couple of days? Did Peter sign up for a masterclass on the internet on integrity? How much changing can you do? Literally days later, Jesus is going to be saying, go get the disciples and Peter. And you think he changed already? Jesus, he was just a fraud. He was just a coward. But you see, Jesus doesn't have in mind Peter changing himself. Oh, you need to hear this. He has in mind that he is going to change Peter. Peter. And how does he do that? Well, because when Peter walks away weeping bitterly, Jesus doesn't leave with him. Jesus keeps walking to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus is going to become Peter's lowest moment. He's going to enter in to Peter's lowest moment. He's going to take upon himself all the sins of all who believe in him. And he is going to become the traitor, to become the denier, to become the sinner. And he is going to come up under the anger and judgment of God. And he is going to die for that. So that when he's on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is literally saying, I am now at Peter's lowest moment. But when he raises from the dead three days later and he says, go get those guys and make sure Peter's there. Here's what he wants to tell Peter. Peter, I came to take on your lowest moment in order that you might live in my highest moment. Remember that interpretive tornado? Jesus changes Peter's A. He changes the moment that defines Peter. He says, Peter, your old old interpretive tornado went like this. I denied Jesus. Therefore, I don't love him. Therefore, he won't love me. Therefore, I'm unwanted. Therefore, I'm unwelcome. Therefore, I am alone. But Jesus says, that moment isn't what defines you anymore, Peter. Here's your new interpretive tornado. Jesus became everything I ever did wrong, and he died for that. Therefore... When God looks at me, he doesn't see that. Therefore, I'm lovable to God. Therefore, God loves me. Therefore, he welcomes me. Therefore, he wants me. Therefore, I will never be alone. Jesus says to Peter, when you change, I will use you. But he doesn't mean that Peter's gonna change himself. He means, Peter, when I change the moment that defines you, and therefore change you, when I change your interpretive tornado, I'll be ready to use you in a big way. Let me ask you a question. What is the moment that defines you? Are you willing to believe that because Jesus lived in your place and died in your place and rose from the dead, that it can be that when God looks at you, he does not see an adulterer? that when God looks at you, he doesn't see an addict or a bad parent or a bad professional or a liar or a cheat, but that when he looks at you, the moment he sees is the perfect crucified son of God standing in your place. Because if you come to believe that, you will need fear. What is there to be afraid of? He sees you, he loves you, He welcomes you. He wants you. You are never alone. Let me pray for us. Father God, I'm so grateful for this story being in the Bible. If all this book was, was propaganda, this story would be pointless. Be pointless. But it isn't propaganda. It's your heart to rescue people like Peter, like me, and like my neighbors who have gathered here. God, would you do that? Holy Spirit, would you help us to see that the things that have defined us, that have led to a certain way of thinking, a certain way of feeling, a certain way of being, don't have to define us anymore. You have given us a greater moment. May we grab hold of it
0: for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.